this. The actual text for the message is going to be simply from verse 9. Whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Second Corinthians, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 16. This is God's holy word. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on the heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and then to the preaching of his word. Uh, I knew I was going to be speaking and sharing with you all tonight quite a while ago, and when it clicked in my mind that this is the last message before a new year comes along, it made me think, you know, it needs to have a, a theme fitting the new year, perhaps something memorable, perhaps something that we can really take in to the new year. That kind of applies to us in all areas of life. Uh, but then I realized it's not just a new year, it's a new decade. So I felt like the pressure mounting, you know, it's like this needs to be a decade message. And so I was talking to some of you, I was like, what, what should I preach about for this decade message that I want to do? And uh, I just as I was reading God's word, this short text really jumped out to me just in my daily going through 2 Corinthians. And just really, I want to bring a simple thought tonight. Just a simple thought from this simple verse in 2 Corinthians 5.9, that whether home with the Lord or here now, that we make it our aim to please God. To make it our aim in everything to please God. So we're talking about aim tonight. Aim. And aim is a really important topic, I think, for us to consider because we live in a day marked by the problem of aimlessness. Aimlessness. Uh, Lack of direction. Lack of feeling like there's meaning or purpose in life. It's been common in times past, you know, we talk about midlife crises, right? But nowadays, people talk about quarter-life crises, And it feels like almost at every age now, there can be this thought of, what am I doing? 
What's it all worth? What is my daily grind every day amounting to? Uh, Am I doing anything meaningful in life? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I spending my time this way? What was the last 20 years for? And this often happens at moments of transition in our life because we often live our lives looking for the next thing that we're going to attain. So you know, you know what I mean? When you're in high school, it's like, life will really begin once I graduate. And that's like, well, once you're in college, like, no, once I graduate college, then it's like life is really going to be going. Or maybe when it's single, like, once I get married, then that'll, I'll really have attained what I've been aiming for. Or when I land that good job, or when I have kids, or when the kids leave the home. Whatever it may be, we always think that we're aiming towards this next thing. And those things never ultimately bring us the satisfaction we were hoping for. And so life ends up kind of feeling like the uh, infinite scroll feature that some evil smartphone person developed to say it never stops loading. The page just keeps going and going, and maybe there will be an interesting thing in a couple swipes. Maybe something, maybe a, a funny video that'll change my life is a just just after what's next. And we can kind of live this in life almost like a hamster wheel. We just go and go and go and wonder what is it all for? Aimlessness. And when we succumb to this feeling of aimlessness, the first thing it does is it just leads to apathy, uh, a lack of motion. We just stop doing. But then sometimes that goes even further, and the result is a marked uh, depression or discouragement or stifling of joy. And I was really shocked when I saw a local news article recently that actually said that Grand Rapids, out of large metro cities in the U.S., is the most diagnosed depressed city in the U.S. of large cities. 25% of the people in Grand Rapids are diagnosed with depression. 25%. That's astounding. Aimlessness. Lack of purpose in life. Because you see, there is a very intimate connection between aim and meaning. If you have an aim, that means you have a purpose, you have a goal, you know what you're going towards. And having a goal and a purpose helps provide meaning in life. And even psychology and neuroscience has shown that when you have purpose in what you're doing and meaning and intentionality, it actually it causes great amounts of happiness. You feel really good when you feel invested and united in the purpose of the task with which you are engaged. And one psychologist, he he suggested, in looking at this connection between aim and meaning, he suggested that, you know, in order to be properly motivated, you need to have an aim. And maybe the deeper the aim, the more elaborated the aim, the more articulate the aim, the more justifiable the aim, the more you've thought about the aim, the more comprehensive the aim, the more motivation is associated with it. And the problem in the world, and for lots of us, is that our aims are just too low. We're aiming far too low. Because aiming at marriage, or a good job, or success, a happy family even, these aims are lower than what we were designed for. We were created to commune with our maker. We were created with the ability to have a relationship with the living God. So anything less than God, living for God, living to please God, is going to leave us at some point with a sense of aimlessness. We have the highest aim, right? This is the aim that Paul gives us in this text tonight. His aim is to please God. This is the most justifiable aim. This is the deepest 
aim. This is the most comprehensive aim. Therefore, as Christians, we have the ability to have every day of life imbued with a sense of deep purpose and deep meaning. And even if it feels like we're not working towards some grand earthly goal, we're raising a family, we're working a normal job, if our aim every day is to please God, that can bring a deep sense of significance into the mundane, everyday, ordinariness of life. We're talking about aim tonight. So what, what is Paul's aim here? What's he talking about in this text? He says, whether home or away, we make it our aim to please him. The him here is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, who he references in the next verse. Aiming to please Christ. Aiming to please the one who calls us to obey his commands and to live for him. And when he says we make it our aim, this is, bringing, this is a word that, it's really just one word in Greek, and what it's saying is it's, a striving earnestly after a particular goal. So making it your aim is kind of mustering all your energy, gathering it all together, and channeling it in one direction. You know, like uh, snipers in the army, it's, you're just pulling a trigger, but it actually takes your whole body engaged. Every part tenses to be able to be as precise and focused as possible. This is, we make it our aim. We bring everything in our life to strive after this one goal. And what's the aim? To please God. Or you could say to be well-pleasing to God. So like this isn't to please God uh, like a father and child, ah, son, please me. It's, it's more a, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. That kind of pleasing to God. And do you know that we actually can please God that way? The most delighted you've ever been in your children if you're a parent God is more delighted in his children. It's amazing. We can please God. And so this was Paul's aim. Paul says we make it our aim to please him. Paul was a man of single-minded devotion, single-minded mission. And what this does for him, in the book of 2 Corinthians, what Paul is doing is he's talking about and defending his ministry because the church thought that Paul suffered too much. They said, if you were like a super apostle like these other guys, why are you suffering so much? But Paul actually wants to tell them that his suffering is actually a part of what qualifies him. And they actually are kind of asking at one point, why don't you lose heart in this? And he said what we read at the beginning, at the end of chapter 4, he says, I'm not looking at what's in front of me. I'm looking at the unseen eternal realities. And because I'm looking there, I can persevere through my suffering because my aim transcends my earthly circumstances. And so he says, I'm always of good courage. We don't lose heart. We're looking to, we're aiming at the things that are unseen. Paul's aim was to please God. And he says this, his aim is to please God whether home or away. And this is what he was talking about in the beginning part of the passage where he kind of says, we have two homes. You have your earthly home, which he calls our tent, that is, this body. We have our earthly home, but then our true home is in heaven. And he calls that our building. Isn't that interesting? Like, we're here in our tent, but we're going to go move into our building one day. We're going to be at home with the Lord. Because if we were designed to commune with God, we're truly home when we're with our Father. The Bible says that for now we're pilgrims, we're passing through. 
We're in a land awaiting our heavenly destination. So he says, whether home with God at that final day or away now, he aims to please God. So you think of it almost like we're, we're in a ship, uh, a sailboat, pa- crossing the open sea, and we know that there's a glorious land on the other side. We've never been there, but we've heard from the messenger who's been there, the one who's come to us, the glories, the beauties of Emmanuel's land. And maybe we've caught a glimpse of it over the horizon, but we, by faith we know it's ahead of us, and we set our course, and we aim. We take the wind and the waves, aiming to please God all the while. So we, we aim to please God on the journey to get there, and we aim to have been well-pleasing to him when we've arrived. And how this aim helped Paul to overcome suffering, you can think of it with a sailboat. If you've ever sailed, uh, you would first naturally assume that, you know, this is kind of what I used to think. You kind of put the sail out to the side, and the wind blows you from behind and blows you on. But the cool thing about sailing is that it doesn't matter what direction the wind's blowing. Whether the wind's blowing at you from the front or from the side, you can always orient your sail in a way to catch the wind and propel you to your destination. And that's kind of a cool picture of what having this eternal perspective does for Paul, is that no matter how circumstances change, a wind hits you from the left, a wind hits you from the right, from the front, from the back, you can readjust yourself. And actually, isn't it some of those stormy times that we grow the most, that we make the most progress in the faith as we go towards Zion's land? There's a power and aim to orient us, to propel us through suffering. And so one thing that this does for Paul is that it gives him courage to persevere in the midst of suffering. But the second thing it does is that it gives him confidence on the day of judgment. And this is what it says in verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So remember, we want to please God home or away. So we want to please God away now. But when we get home, arrive at heaven, we will stand before Christ. And we are going to give an account for every idle word that we've spoken. And so we especially on that day want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Because our life's work will go through testing. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this, that we take the building of our life, as it were, through the fire. And whatever was done for God withstands the fire. And sadly for some, much of their life, if they were aiming just to please self, aiming to please the flesh, that's a life that's not going to stand the fire. But the life aimed at pleasing God, at delighting to do God's will, that's building on the rock. That's building a life that will actually carry something into eternity. We are going to be held accountable for how we use those talents, how we invested the talents as God's servants here and now. So the question is, are you, are you aiming to please God or are you aiming to please yourself? We heard a great message this morning talking about the need for us to die to ourselves, that we can't live to please ourselves. That's no way to live. To live to please yourself is too low of an aim, but to live to please God. And just imagine that one day, 
Each one of us is going to stand before God. And will we be able to say, God, for all my failings, all the ways I missed it, I truly aimed to please you. God, I did make it my aim to do the things that were pleasing to you. I often didn't. I often fell short. But this ought to be our heart's desire, that on that final day, so that we can know the intention of our heart was to please God, and then to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So, aim gives us courage to face suffering, but it also gives us confidence on the day of judgment. This is what aim does for Paul. Aiming to please God, the highest goal, the best goal, the only way to live. And this is a simple thought, to aim to please God, to make it our aim, to strive earnestly after this. And I want to go into some points of application of this. This is one big thought, but what are maybe some sub-targets, if you will, or points on the overall target of pleasing God? What are some specific targets we can all aim at this next year, this next decade, if we want to please God? So you're saying, yes, I think I want to please God. What might that look like? Okay, so as, as jumping into application from this text, what might be some aims? Well, where, where would we look to find such an aim of a life that pleases God? Well, we have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Christ perfectly pleased God. So if we want some good targets, we should look to the example of Christ. And also, what about the example of heaven? Heaven, the place where God's will is done perfectly. We can look also to what will life be like in heaven and what was life like in Christ, and that'll give us some targets to shoot at. Okay, so I, I, there's three things I want to discuss with you. Three targets, three things we can aim at this year to please God. First, to aim to have consistent communion with God. Consistent communion with God. Secondly, to aim to have overflowing love for others. And thirdly, aiming to subdue the sin that gets in the way. So simply communing with God, loving others, subduing sin. These are all targets that we see exemplified in the life of Christ. Perfect communion with God at all moments. Overflowing abundant love for others at all points. Never sinning. And this is what God's will will be for each of us to actually attain in heaven. Sinlessness. Perfect love. Jonathan Edwards called heaven a world of love. And perfect communion with God. And so I would just love it if even if we all came away from tonight just having that same goal. Is your goal, is our goal Grace Fellowship that ideally I would have unbroken fellowship with God all day long. That would be the greatest thing ever. I would have such selfless, overflowing love for others and that I would never sin. Of course, we'll never make it, but wow, that's something to aim at. And maybe we can make some progress. So let's just discuss these briefly. Communion with God. The psalmist says in Psalm 16 that in God's presence is fullness of joy. We're created with the ability to enjoy God, to enjoy fellowshipping with God, to enjoy communion with God. And this is often what we call worship, to come into God's presence, to hear his word, and to give him our words. And we often settle with far too little enjoyment of God. To have that sense every day of God's presence continually with us, 
He is continually with us, but to actually have an abiding sense that God is right by me at every moment would be profoundly impactful for our lives. As if God was a very friend right beside us, that as soon as we run into trouble, we look to God. As soon as we're tempted by sin, we look to God. And even though we would love to have constant communion with God, we can pursue consistent communion with God. And as we look at this new year, let's think about consistency. So I don't want you guys to start a read a Bible in the year plan and stop at the end of January. Far better to read three verses a day and do that every day and to think about it. Far better to pray 30 seconds every morning than to try to do a bunch and then stop after a week. Consistency. And even trying to bring that throughout our day. How can we just pause and take some time on our day to commune with God? Uh, there's a sport called biathlon. Kids, have you guys ever heard of biathlon? It's a winter sport. Uh, winter Olympic sport, which is the, one, the Olympics that Canadians are good at. The Winter Olympics. And what, what biathlon is, is it's two sports mixed into one. You kind of do some cross-country skiing. And then you stop and shoot targets. Like super weird combination. I don't know who came up with that. Biathlon. Any, any biathletes in here by any chance? I didn't think so. Biathlon. Bi- so here's the interesting thing about biathlon. You work really hard, get really tired, and then the difficulty is actually, it's really hard to aim well when your adrenaline's going and your blood is pumping. Because you need to be in a state of calm and rest to have good aim. So the skill of the biathlete is that they can very quickly lower their heart rate, lower their breathing, and aim. And I think that's a picture for us of what our daily life ought to be like. We're running throughout the day, you're getting the kids out the door, getting on a move, busy at work, but how do we sneak moments in the day just to pause and refocus, to rest, to shut out the distractions just for a moment, and just to remember, even for a minute, God, my aim is to please you. God, I want to know you. God, show me your love today and help me to show your love to others. That simple, that breath of calm, communion with God throughout the day. Let's pursue that this year. Consistent communion with God. Let's also aim then for overflowing love for others. Don't we want to be a loving church and a loving people? And it's such a joyful way to live to love others. We live in selfishness so much. And living selfishly is not a joyful way to live. To live in overflowing love for others. Uh, Just think about it. If you're aiming, say you're aiming down a scope, what's the one thing you can't see when you're looking down a scope? Yourself. When you are aiming at others, you, you, you fade to the background. You shut yourself out of it. And... Although we have so much selfishness in each of us, we know it all too well, if you at least start to having intention and aim that just everywhere you go, you enter a room, God, help me to love the people that are in this room. To think, how can I serve the people in this room? Who can I welcome after church, Lord? Who maybe has a need? Who's hurting and I can speak an encouraging word to? Who's struggling in life and could maybe use some help? Who looks lonely and looks like they need a friend? It's going to take a lot of work for us to work on this in our hearts. I struggle with this and I want to love others better. And I think for us, it's going to start with that intention of we want to love people. I was recently reading a report where a lady was studying um, successfully evangelistic churches. 
And the really interesting insight that I got from this paper was that she said that these churches that were really successful at bringing people into the community of God, seeing disciples made, they actually didn't talk about evangelism per se all that much, but they talked about loving people a lot. And if our church has a love culture, we're, we're all committed. We want to love people as well as we can. Do you know what's the result of that? People welcomed into the family of God. People helped. People assisted. Because when our goal is to love God's image bearers, it frees us to love them in so many more wonderful ways and with freedom and a determination that just we want to do whatever good for them that God could have us do for them, to love people well. Let's aim for that this year. And lastly, let's aim to subdue the sin that gets in the way. Sin quenches our enjoyment of God and our communion with God. It just chokes out our life in the spirit. Sin, it suppresses that fire of love for others. It stops up the overflowing well of love we want to have for other people. Our selfishness, our laziness, our lusts and covetousness, our idolatries. Sin gets in the way. And even as we, we read tonight, we sin in thought, word, and deed. But perhaps a focus for the new, for the new year, the new decade, could be let's, let's focus on particular sins. Uh, the old Puritan writers used to often talk about what they called a bosom sin. That is one particular sin that seems to you hold more closely and almost cherish and fear to give up. Or like a pet sin, you could say. And for most of us, most of us usually feel like at any one time we're kind of plagued by one sin in particular. Whether it's lust or gluttony or slander and gossip. We often feel like there's one sin in our life that just trips us up again and again and again. And so if we take aim and really focus on that biggest sin, that most pernicious sin, what that does is as you shoot at that, you often hit a bunch of other ones as well. And so if just every year you're going to pick, this year I'm going to work on subduing my tongue. Or this year I'm going to work on self-control. What is it that most steals your joy in the spirit? And focus on that. Go deep on that. I had a friend last year who really wanted to do this and go deep on anger. Root out anger in his life. And I remember him just telling me, saying, he's like, you know what? I realized today I had a tag in the back of my shirt and it was itching my neck. And he said, it made me so irritated. And he said, because I've been thinking about anger, I realized, wow, I'm actually getting angry about a shirt tag. It's actually stealing my joy and causing me irritation and consternation on the inside. So go deep on one side. Think about all the heart motives you have in it. What are the things that draw you to it? How can you think about it in a way that you can overcome? Subduing the sin that gets in the way of our love for others and our communion with God. So there are some aims. Those are some tangible aims. The aim, really, it's to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our destiny as Christians, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So as we seek that, this brings in purpose and meaning to every day. Every day you can wake up and say, I have an opportunity today to become more like Jesus Christ. I today have an opportunity through my suffering, through the mundane, to love people, to commune with God, and to fight against sin. And here's the beautiful thing. This is so hard. This is a life's work. But God's given us of his Holy Spirit to help us 
and empower us and assist us. This was Christ's greatest gift to the church. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can subdue sin, so that we can sacrificially love others, so that we can truly enjoy communion with God. We have a power that's beyond us, that transcends us, that enables us to aim higher than the things of this world. We have the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, the helper. But more than that, we have the blood of Christ. Because we will all fail at this in so many ways and fall short every single day. But to know that we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Jesus Christ never failed to make it his aim to please his heavenly Father. His food was to do his Father's will. His aim was to accomplish his Father's purposes. And never for one moment did he not bring all his being into conformity with the will of God. Therefore, the Father is infinitely, perfectly pleased with the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, we're in him. By faith, we're in him. And therefore, we get to ride his coattails, as it were, and have the God-pleasingness of Christ on us. So we don't aim to please God in order to earn his pleasing, that he'll be totally displeased until we've done the right things. We already are loved children. And as loved children, what a joyful thing it is then to please our heavenly father, to please Christ, our elder brother. We get to live in such a way that pleases God because living to please God is the best way to live. It's the most joy-filled way to live. We've been brought into his family and now we can partner with him on his mission. And part of his mission is seeing us conformed to Christ's image. Part of his mission is seeing us love others. Part of his mission is seeing us be made worshipers and sin fighters. What an opportunity. This is the antidote to aimlessness. This is how we can live lives of purpose and meaning every single day. Because every day, no matter what you're doing, whether you're at home, whether you're in a job you don't like, you can commune with God, you can love people, you can fight sin. And this, we have a tool that transcends everything else culture has. We have the highest aim, the best aim. So live to please God this year. Live to please God this decade. Live your whole life to please God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your smile is upon all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a sincere love. Lord, we want to be a people that love Christ more and more and that become more and more like him. Would we see his image more and more in us, that our heart's cry would be like David when he says, I will only be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Lord, we want to look like Jesus. And we long for that day when we will be made perfectly like him. That heavenly home that you've prepared for us, those incorruptible bodies, that sinless life, that perfect fellowship. But Lord, let us experience heaven now. Let us be a people that truly seek and aim to please you in all things. Let us be, Lord, a people that fight sin, that fight sin hard. Lord, let us be a people who love others, who deeply, sacrificially pour out ourselves for others. And Lord, let us be a people that truly know you, that truly know what it is to fellowship with you, that know the grace of Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Would you work these things in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that for all our failings, we're covered with Christ's blood. In whose name we pray, amen.